Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Jesus, uh, last week we talked about the defining moment of his baptism and how his obedience to the Father opened heaven in his life. Obedience to God opens heaven. Disobedience opens hell in your life. And it's important that each and every one of us understand that the more we can learn to be obedient to the voice of God in our life, specifically, watch this, specifically the rhema word of God, what God is speaking to you personally. There is the word of God that we have that was documented thousands of years ago. It's absolutely precious. It's priceless. It's valuable. We need to memorize it. We need to learn it. We need to know it. We need to quote it. But we each and all need to learn how to develop a prayer life with the Father where we begin to recognize how he speaks to us in our lives. He speaks to each and every one of us differently. He speaks to us through our spouses. He speaks to us through our friends. He can speak to us through a movie. He can speak to us in tons of ways. There's no limit to how God can speak to us, but we've got to learn how to tune in and recognize his voice because the Bible is very specific about when it uses the word in the Greek language, rhema, or what God is saying right now, that when you obey that rhema right now word, that that's actually the word used for the sword of the spirit that you fight with. The sword of the spirit that you fight with, when you're in the middle of a fight for your life, a fight for your family, a fight for your marriage, you better have a right now word. You better know what God is saying about your family, about your future, about your finances, about your wife, about your children, about your business. You better know what God is saying because that's what we fight with. Jesus said, if my rhema, my right now, the utterance of God, if it abides in you, you can ask me for anything and it will be done for you. We've got to be people that learn to hear his voice and move into a place of relationship with him. That's absolutely powerful. I'm going to start today in John chapter two. We're going to dive into the very first miracle of Jesus, the defining moment of Jesus's life where he became a miracle worker. When he came back and last week we talked about how he went out and he uh, went into the wilderness right after he was baptized, heaven was open. The Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. He defeated temptation. The first work of Jesus as the anointed Messiah of God was to defeat the devil in the grounds or in the battleground of temptation so that each and every one of us could overcome temptation in our lives as well. He came back from that moment. He had an encounter with God. He came back from that moment and he instantly began to align with the people that God was calling him to partner with. He began to handpick his disciples Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and these different people that were being brought into his sphere. He began to align with them. And then we pick up in this story. He's only got a handful of disciples so far. He's just a couple weeks into ministry. And all of a sudden he goes to a wedding with his mom in a home in one in a town near his hometown. This is John chapter two, verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, that's my favorite place in scripture. 
I have never tried that with my mom. I don't think it would go well. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Can you believe that? Jesus was just baptized. Jesus heard the audible voice of the Father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus has seen the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week we mentioned that the Bible says that the entirety of the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead, dwelt in him in bodily form. And yet his mom says, you need to do something about this. And he says, my time has not come. This is an interesting picture where we see because we think of Jesus as being fully God, and he was, but Jesus was also fully man. And we as mankind have moments where we don't feel ready. We as mankind have moments where we don't necessarily see fully what has to go on, and we need people in our lives around us to help us to recognize the moment that is at hand. And in this moment, the anointed Messiah, the fullness of God living in him, and Jesus needed his mom to show him what time it was. Woman, what does this, your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, I love this, she didn't even pay him one lick of attention. <laughs> Isn't that a great mama? You might be the Messiah, but shh, all right. <laughs> His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six sets of water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they will be filled and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the signs Jesus did in Canaan and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and brother and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. I want you to recognize something in this passage that I believe is incredibly powerful. And it's important that we get caught up in this. And I've heard so many different things that have been spoken about or talked about regarding this story. But I need you to see something, that there's a symbol and there's a picture. There's a reason. There's a, a, a law, a scriptural law. It's called the law of first mention. And any time that something happens for the very first time in scripture, it sets a precedent for how things will happen in the future. And it's important that you understand this because people I've watched and I've seen and I've heard people talk about this passage in a certain way that limits what I believe God was really wanting to to prove here with his heart toward mankind. This is the first miracle of Jesus, and there's a lot of information inside of this. See, in, in our culture, uh, there are people, especially in churches, that are on different sides of the fence concerning wine. Now, here's one of the ridiculous things I've heard people say. Well, Jesus didn't multiply 
alcoholic wine, it was just grape juice because Jesus wouldn't do that because wine drinking is a sin. We didn't get any amens. Very good, thank you. (laughs) The problem with that is that the word when it says well drunk, every man brings it, sets out good wine, and then when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, that word literally means to get drunk. This party was a real party. In fact, the reality is that when Jesus showed up, they probably had plenty of wine until his sailors came in and started drinking it all. Okay? Very likely. But Jesus brought out the good wine. And wine is symbolic in Scripture. See, it's important that we understand this. This is a taboo thing. And what we need to understand is that in Scripture, wine is used. It literally represents, symbolically, it represents happiness. It represents joy. It represents pleasure. It represents wealth. There's all these different things that wine represents. It represents the the, uh, Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the presence of God. It represents, as Jennifer mentioned, doing something new. Now, it's important that you pay attention to what I'm saying because there is also this thing called moderation. And you can be on extremes of either side of this issue and you can cause people to stumble and fall. Because one thing in moderation can be beautiful. Now, get this and understand, there are certain people that don't need to touch this because it could destroy their life. This is not for them. But there are other people that it's not the same situation. And we need to make sure as the people of God that we're not judgmental about certain things because we all have a road that we're going to walk. It's important. But the symbolism here, and what's important for you to understand, is at this party, God wanted people to be happy. He wanted them to have fun. This is a picture of what he wants for you in your life. And again, this is so important that we understand that we as the people of God, there are lots of different things in life that can be used for good or for bad. And it's our responsibility as mature people to to take up our position as godly men and women and not take things that can be used for good and use them for bad. Money is something that can be used for good or for bad. Right. Right? And what we do with that. Is, it, is, is what's determined is the outcome of that. So it's super important that we see that. But the picture of this is a picture that's so big for us to recognize that the, that the reason God did this miracle is to show once and for all that he wants his people to live a rich, full, abundant life. It's the picture of abundance. It's the picture of joy. There's so much inside of this picture that's very, very strong because the entire picture of Jesus, remember the entire thing of Jesus is that Jesus Jesus was the bridegroom of heaven. And the picture, the reason that this is the very first thing that Jesus does as a miracle is because the very last miracle that Jesus does is bring all of us into a celebration in heaven where we have this big wedding feast and the church is the bride of Christ. Amen? So there's a lot going on here. But what I want you to see that's so important here is that Jesus would not have done this miracle unless he had submitted to his own mother. Submission unlocks the supernatural in our lives. Submission unlocks the supernatural in our lives. And Jesus had a history of submission. See, the first time we see Jesus stepping out and spreading his legs and stretching himself a little bit, the first time we see Jesus was when he was 12 years old. They had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover, and Jesus then disappears. And his parents leave. And this is an interesting thing because Jesus was missing for three days. His parents were in, they were traveling in a company of people. 
And they go to Jerusalem with a company of people, and they come back, and three days they haven't found Jesus. What's interesting to me is they didn't even know they'd lost him maybe for three days. I don't know how long. Talk about neglectful parents. I mean, they're only in charge of, like, keeping God alive, right? I mean, for crying out loud. But, but three days later, they find him in the temple, and they said, why did you do this to us? We, we've all had that moment where we thought we lost a kid. Not you. Just, you know, I thought I have. Okay, and it, and it terrifies you, and you say, why did you do this to us? Why did you do this to me? And Jesus says, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? But right after that, the next verse says, but then he submitted to them, and he returned with them, and because he submitted, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus had a habit of submitting to his family, submitting to his parents, See, the word in, this word submission is a word that in a lot of ways cannot be a word that we like. It's a word that has been abused in the church. It's a word that has been abused in human culture. Um, it's a word when I think of, and, and just with, with the, the training that I've done in the martial arts, I've done a lot of training in arts that are called submission arts, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And the whole goal of, of training in that type of style is to get someone to submit and you don't want to be submitted and there are times that in my training, um, one time specifically where I was training with one of my instructors, and, uh, and this instructor, obviously way better than me, but I caught him in a hold. I caught him in a move, and I choked him. And he, and he waited, and, he didn't, and all of a sudden, you know, when, when, if you've ever seen people tap out, they normally freak out and they tap. He just goes like this. That, that's all he did. Just, and so I let him go. And it freaked me out, because I mean, I just tapped out my instructor. And he said, very good. Now let's go again. And he proceeded to tap me out about 52 times in a row right after that. Now another time I was training with another instructor and I caught him in an arm bar. And this instructor uh, could not be tapped out by a beginner in jujitsu. And he fought and he fought and he fought and yanked and he broke his own arm. I didn't break it. I was just holding on to it. I had to move. He was supposed to tap. But his pride kept him from tapping, from submitting, and he broke his own arm. See, in life so many times, and this is something, guys, that, anybody here have a problem with submission? I, I mean, if I was in Austin, Texas, I might hear a little bit of a different crowd. Come on, we're Texans. We're our own country. We have a flag that says, come and take it, Right? Submission is not something that we necessarily like or want to embrace, but submission is something that opens a door in the kingdom and it changes the future. Submission literally opens the door and unlocks the supernatural. Watch this. I'm going to read you a couple different verses about, about this. Uh, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for things, for all things to God the Father in his name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Do you see that? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. People typically leave that one off and they go to the next one. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. No response, okay, Interesting. Thought I'd get an amen or at least get el somebody get elbowed for that one. I didn't know. For the husband is head over the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. 
Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Now watch this. Husbands, love your wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water of the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now watch this, because this is something that has been used and abused all through human culture. Um, there has been, ever since the Garden of Eden, that's part of, the, part of the curse inside the Garden of Eden, is that man and woman, Adam and Eve, were created as as co-equals, essentially. Adam was the head. It was a perfect picture of harmony. He was supposed to cover, protect, and, and, and watch over his wife. She was brought out of the side of him, so they were, she was at his side, and they were partners in this. But then when she uh, fell with the enemy, and then she lured him as well and brought him, and he stumbled, instead of leading her and protecting her, he fell into it with her, and then he flipped around and blamed her for it. He said, this woman you gave me, anybody ever prayed that prayer? Didn't think so. I didn't think so. Right? But this woman you gave me, well, listen, watch the curse, the curse upon Eve for falling into sin was that she would have pain in childbirth. Thanks a lot, Eve, right? That she would have pain in childbirth and that she would desire for her husband's position. So woman lost position in that as part of the curse of the fall. And man's curse was it out through work and through sweat and through toil and through suffering, he would bring forth a harvest. So work is the curse that came from the fall of man. Now, what we've seen in human history is we've seen women, and we, you, all you have to do is look on different parts of the world, and you can see women horrifically treated and abused and subjugated by men. It happens all over the world. Now, in our nation, we have equal rights, and it's a beautiful thing, and we need to celebrate that. But the perversion of it is to then go above and then to dominate and to emasculate men. Nobody should want an emasculated man for a husband. We should want empowered men that understand their position and their protectors and providers and they watch over it. We work together. We're partners in this thing, right? But the picture here of submission, and, and I want you to see this because it's a command, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But then the next thing to, for the man, it says, in men, love your husband as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. So the wife is commanded to submit and the husband is commanded to die. You understand that? No amens from husbands either. <laughs> That's the command. Wives, you submit. This husband is going to go die for you. Now, it's not physical. But there are things as a godly man that we die to because we're preferring our godly wife. Now, I want to be, I want to be open and I want to be honest with you because um, this isn't easy. Uh, my wife and I have very strong personalities, both of us. We're both in charge and we both know it. Okay? Anybody else? Nope. Just us. Okay? We're, we have strong personalities. We're both very opinionative. Um, we, you know, she grew up an only child. I, I, I grew up um, as the, uh, the baby boy, and the world can kind of revolve around you, right? And there was a time in, in our relationship um, where we were butting some heads, and the Lord brought me to this passage, and he brought me to the part above the part where it says, wives, submit to your husbands, because it says submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And the Lord told me, to submit to my wife. And I said, are you crazy? 
I said, if I submit to her, she will run over me up one side, down the other. Do you know this woman? This is a powerful woman. If I submit to her, she'll run me over. I'll never get this thing back in, uh, in the right order. And he said, do you trust me? I said, yes, I trust you. Watch this. He said, Joel, if you'll sow submission, you'll reap submission. See, this is a cycle that you can create in your lives. One of the problems in this, the picture here, wives submit to your husbands, it's, a, it's about honor. It's about sowing honor. The greatest need that a man has in his life, the greatest need that we have, the Bible says, and this, I don't want to, you know, get off too far, but the Bible says that men are made in the image of God. Men are the glory of God. It actually says men are the glory of God and woman, the glory of man. There's a weird thing that there, that's there that I don't fully understand, but what I do know is that men make, being made in the image of God, there is a incessant need inside of a man's psychological profile to be respected and honored. Okay? It, it, that, that's, that's there. It's a real deal. And with women, and obviously there are different, there's differences. There are, I don't want to, not trying to stereotype anything, but with women, there is a need for, to be, to be uh, protected and served and loved and taken care of. There's something about that. And there's lots of different types of people. But the greatest thing that my wife needs is that, that she knows that I'm keeping her safe. Security, protection, provision, that speaks to her. To me, being honored and treated with respect speaks to me. It's the greatest need that I have. The problem here, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Is that when we think that the other person's behavior is what determines how we treat them, we can mess the whole thing up. Because you could say, well, she doesn't deserve for me to do this for her. Because look how she, and you could say, or she could say, well, he doesn't deserve for me to treat him with respect because look how he, and when you bring behavior into this and you start treating people based on what their behavior determines, you miss the whole point. Because this is about recognizing the position that someone has in your life and treating them in regards to, in accordance with the position that they have, not the conditional behavior that they're having right now. And what we have learned is that when Jennifer can, even though sometimes, oftentimes, weekly, daily, I may have a moment that my behavior does not deserve to be treated with honor or respect. But when she overcomes my momentary lapse of reason and honors and respects me anyway, she triggers in me the behavior she actually desires. And on the flip side, with the man, it's the same deal. That when you, as the man in your relationship, when you treat with love and you, and you die to uh, things in yourself and you, and you prefer the other person and you serve, it's amazing what you produce when you sow the right seeds into the relationships in your life. Submission is a superpower. See, there's another story. There's two stories side by side that I want you to see. The story of the first miracle with Jesus and then the second story that we see is a couple, or a couple days later, we don't know the exact amount of time, but it said that Jesus and his mother, and they went to uh, Galilee, and they didn't stay there very many days because uh, the Passover was coming. And the very next thing that you see is a story where Jesus walks into the temple, and he cleans out or clears out the temple for the very first time. There are, in the book of John, there are three Passovers that are mentioned in the, in the book of John. 
This is John 2, 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, did you see that? When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple uh, with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money, and he overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it in three. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believe the scriptures and the word which Jesus has said. Now, I want you to remember this moment because in a few weeks, when we walk through the Easter process, you're going to remember that this moment in the very first weeks of Jesus' life, where he said, Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days, that was the accusation that they came against uh, him with three years later. The first week of his life, the first miracle. And the first act of authority, that's what we're looking at today. These are defining moments for Jesus. The first miracle and the first act of authority and submission is a key that's connecting both of these things together. See, when you submit to authority figures in your life, when you submit to the people that God has put in positions in your life, it opens the door for God to do supernatural things in your life because God loves unity. He loves unity. And the place of unity is where his presence, where his anointing can flow. But what it also does is when you submit to authority, what you, what you see and what, you, what you'll begin to understand is that it actually gives you more authority. See, the word submission, this is why it's interesting to me, is the word submission, the Greek word that's used is actually a word that's a military word. And when it says wives, submit to your husband. Or when it says each other, submit to each other. It's a military word that means to align in formation for military action. So submission, although in our own, Amer our own psyche, it, it comes against, it makes us feel like we're taking a place of weakness. That's what it seems like in our own minds. But submission is actually what aligns you into a position for greater conquest and greater outcomes in your own personal life. You are aligning in military formation so that you can actually go and accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish. So submission opens up the door for the supernatural and becomes a superpower inside of your own life. See, what the enemy wants to see happen in your life is he wants to see you combatant with the people that you're supposed to be aligning in formation with. He wants to get you so tricked up that you feel like, listen, the best people in your life, the best people for you in your life won't always be your favorite people to be around because they will challenge you. The best people for you will challenge you. They'll stretch you. They'll, they'll check you on things. And if we're so prideful that we can't submit to the people around us, we'll miss out on the aligning and the arranging into battle formation that God wants for us to have so that we can actually go out and defeat the enemy you're supposed to defeat. That our, our enemy, Satan, wants us convinced that our enemy is the person next to us. 
the person in the cubicle over who's vying for our job, the boss that's not giving us uh, the, the fair shake, the person on your t- staff that won't ever do what you're telling them to do, your rowdy kid that won't, act, that won't act straight. The enemy wants to convince you that the people around you are who you should be aligning against when the reality is if we can learn to align together, we can defeat him. Goes on to say in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Still nothing. You guys, come on. There's, this is not an amen church, huh? I figured all the parents would be amen and looking at their kid next to them. Teen, we got t- any teenagers in here? Come on, t- let me hear some teenagers up in here. Where are you? All right, we got a couple of you. Very good, very good. We've been having some great teenage events uh, at, at these different uh, house parties. Thank you for those that have helped host those parties. I'm sure we got one coming up again here in the near future. A lot of fun for that. Watch this, though. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I'm talking to all you teenagers. Watch. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Because if you don't honor your parents, they will kill you dead. <laughs> Watch this. This, says, this is the first commandment with a promise. The first commandment with a promise. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. Honor. Remember what we said earlier? It's to treat them the way their position requires. Not necessarily their behavior. Parents can miss it. Parents can mess up. Parents can be stubborn. Some of you had fantastic parents, and fantastic parents still miss it. Some of you had horrible parents. And the best thing that they did for you was get you on this planet. And you've been trying to rebuild and heal from the things that you went through because of the type of parents that you had. I'm really sorry for that. And and, and as a representative of God, I want to apologize for any place in your life where people of authority have misused you, have abused you, whether it was people in spiritual authority, people in your household authority. People, authority is a picture. It represents God in our lives. And I, I hope that you would open your heart and be willing to forgive someone that abused their authority because what's, what's, what's dangerous is because authority has been abused and chances are all of us have had misused or abused authority aimed at us at some place in our life. And if we're not careful, we can get really defensive and we can raise up walls and we can draw our swords and we can position ourselves with an attitude that will never let that happen to us again and understand, I get that, I understand that. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we can miss the new opportunities for alignment that God is bringing us into because we have this, we have this resilience or we have this stubborn resolve against ever being in a position of submission or what we would view as weakness ever again. And it's important that you understand the Bible is very clear that all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. He uses both good authority and bad authority at seasons of our lives. Now, here's what I want you to understand is that there are times, there are times where you may be in a situation in your life with a bad boss, a bad partner, a bad relationship. You you may have had a bad pastor. 
You may have had a bad elder. You may have had someone in your life that was not, that was not good in how they used authority. And they were there in your life for a season. You may be in a position right now where you've got someone in your life that's a position of authority and they're not good. But God has you there for now. And you've got to ask this question. What am I supposed to learn here? Because if you don't learn it, you can't escape it. And if you don't learn it, but you evacuate the situation, you'll find yourself cycled right back into that situation with another situation. And that's how we have people that, and there's no stones, there's no judgment here, but there are people that go from marriage to marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship, and they don't ever stick it out and learn what they were supposed to learn. And they find themselves in a worse situation than they were the last time. And if they've just stuck it out and learned and changed and grown, they may have been able to preserve something, but now they're paying for impatience. It's important that we understand that God has us in situations. That doesn't mean that he won't at the right time remove and elevate you, but we've got to make sure that we're allowing him to be the one that changes our seasons. So the big question for you today is, are you submitted? Are you submitted? Do you have a problem with submission? Because God's got big things he wants to do in your life, but if you have a problem with submission, you're going to have a hard time being in position for the supernatural and super powerful things that God wants for you in your life to come into play. See, what we saw with Jesus, this, this moment of authority that Jesus exuded with his first couple weeks of ministry behind him, that Jesus fashioned, it says in scripture, he fashioned a whip and he went into the temple. Now you need to understand in the, the temple in, Jewish, in Jesus's day, the temple was their national headquarters. It would be like fashioning weapons and going to D.C. to try to, have an, to, to set the government in place. Doesn't work. You're going to jail. But the fact that Jesus walked in there, fashioned a whip, ran them all out of the temple, turned over all their money tables, money going everywhere. Listen, you want to tick people off, mess with their money. makes a stand. It's my father's house. It'll be a house of prayer. But then he also, and, and this is amazing, how does he not get arrested then? How, how, did, how did, but it was the authority, listen, it was the authority that he walked in. They couldn't touch him because he was submitted. He was under submission. And when you're under submission, you have authority in your life and the enemy can't touch you. It's when you get outside of the lines of the submitted relationships that you're supposed to have that you position yourself in a place where you can be easily picked off by the enemy. Do you buck authority? Do you spit the bit? See, a bit is used in horses' mouths to steer them and turn them. And, and, and a stubborn horse will spit the bit. They don't, want to be led. they don't want to be led. They don't want to be steered. They don't want someone to tell them where to go, tell them what to do. And we can be in a position in our lives where God is trying to lead us. He's trying to steer us. And we keep spitting the bit. Who should you, who are the people that God has given you in your life that you should be submitted to? God wants to open incredible doors in your life. He wants to bring you into an amazing season. I want, you just to, I want you to do this for a second. Just close your eyes for a minute and just allow the Holy Spirit 
Maybe, maybe he, I believe he's going to give you just an image in your own mind. Could be a person in your life that you've been resisting. Could be your spouse. Could be relationship with your kids. See, that same position, that, that same passage that said, children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. It also says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. There's a flip side of that passage that parents have to learn how to honor and treat their kids the right way too so they don't provoke them. There's a balance here to be the type of parent that's easy to honor, easy to follow. Where are the challenges in your relationships? Is it in a business relationship, partnership? See, if we want to reap the blessing of submission in our lives, if we want to reap the blessing of alignment for power and for authority, we've got to deal with this place in our life, the stubbornness, any areas of rebellion. so that we can be aligned with the relationships. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you just, between you and the Lord, just to have a a, a moment of private repentance for any attitudes, any rebellion, any refusal to submit to the people that he's aligned with you, partners in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I ask you just to let a supernatural healing come across this crowd today. Father, I believe that you want to do something amazing in their lives, that you want to open up for them miraculous things in their lives, miraculous moments in business, miraculous moments in their marriages, miraculous moments with their kids, with their finances, with their futures. Teach us, Holy Spirit how to be unified together, how to submit one to another. But Father, I ask you also, if there are any areas where there is someone in their life that you're removing, God, give them clarity on where to be bold enough to obey you and at the right time allow you to move them. Father, I come against right now, any demonic manipulation, any demonic abuse of authority that has been released against these beautiful people in this church. I come against the work of the devil that has sought to jade them from being able to see the beauty of aligning together in mutual submission so that your open heavens can flow inside of us so that we obey you and we can be sharpened by the people around us. Father, we ask you by the Holy Spirit to to remove the pain of past hurts in relationship to authority and to help these men and women to understand, to hear your voice and to follow and obey. You are their shepherd. You are their shepherd. They do hear your voice. Father, anyone that's in this room that's in a position where they've got an abusive person or or, uh, an overbearing person Father, give them more grace to, be, to sustain the season that they're in until you move them on. Let no one spit the bit. Let no one try to open their own door. But Father, let us each and every one walk through the door 
that you have for us. And Father, lastly, move us into a place where we as the people of God, we sow submission and reap submission. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a couple very practical things. Number one thing, the first and foremost thing is we've got to submit to God. Father, what do you want me to do? It's so easy for us as men and women, it's so easy for us as humans to get in the flesh. Do you know you wake up in the flesh every morning? You wake up in the flesh every morning. You have to get into the spirit. Most of you, if you got up in the middle of the night and you're walking through, anybody ever just walking through the house in the middle of the night, you're dead asleep, woke up, got to get a drink or whatever, and you walk through and you just catch just your pinky toe on something? And in that moment, do you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit and just worship? (laughs) Oh, you say things that they say only on TV. (laughs) Some of you just in your head and you think that that's better, but, you know, out of the abundance of your heart. Um, (laughs) Most of us don't break our pinky toe off and say, thank you, Father, you're so worthy. We don't do that. It's just we, we, we have these moments that come out. Anybody ever been cut off in traffic? Anybody ever have someone treat you wrong in a store? Bad service. Our flesh comes out quick. Specifically when we feel like someone's treating us in a manner that we don't deserve. We wake up in the flesh every single day. It's your natural state as a human being. And that's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Getting into the spirit is a daily move, a daily decision. Submitting to God is a daily move. It's a daily decision. Some of us wake up on the wrong side of the bed, get back in bed, roll over, get out of the other side. We've got to make sure that we're getting ourselves in a place where we're submitted to God on a daily basis. Number two, find right environments for yourself. There may be a certain environments that you can't escape right now and you just have to endure and you need to keep submitting to God and praying. But any environment that you can control, like this one right here, find right, healthy environments right now. So important that you do that because those environments uh, will position you for your future victories. Next thing, die to pride. Make sure that you don't allow pride to be the motivator in your life because pride comes before destruction. We know that. And pride will cause you to spit that bit and to, prov- or to fight and to resist. We did this just a couple minutes ago. Repent for any rebellion in your heart. Repent for rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's important that we don't allow rebellion in our hearts. Now, a beautiful thing about this uh, too is that it, there, there is a righteous rebellion Our nation was founded on righteous rebellion, okay? Uh, The the Civil War was fought over righteous rebellion. We understand that? There are moments and times when, when doing what is right causes you to disobey other authorities in your life because you must do what's right in God's eyes. So there is a righteous rebellion, but we don't ever want it to be that sinful, prideful rebellion in our hearts that will destroy our lives. Number five, invest honor, Honor is a currency. And if you will invest honor everywhere you go, if you'll treat people the way, just as human beings, doesn't matter what their position is in your life, it's important for you to recognize different people's positions, okay? When I get pulled over, I didn't say if I get pulled over, I said when I get pulled over, happens on a yearly basis it seems. When the officer comes to the door, I don't say, anything disrespectful to him. 
I don't make sudden moves and reach for something in my brief, in my whatever. I have my hands on the wheel. I say, yes, sir, and no, sir. How can I help you, sir? What, see, whatever. I mean, I, there is a certain way that you treat people because they have a position of authority in life. If I ever find myself in court, I hope I don't, I'm going to call the guy your honor because he has a position of authority. And the way you treat authority figures makes a big difference on, on the response that you get back. Okay? Very important. This, this is just something that should be common sense for all of us. But here's the next flip side of this, is that every single human being on the planet is God's child. And just because someone has a lower position doesn't mean that we don't treat them with honor. We should honor and we should treat people well, no matter their station in life, no matter their background, no matter where they come from. It's important that we understand that sowing honor and treating people well, it provokes, it's a currency in our lives that will bring us and keep us in a cycle of wealth in this regard, that we want to live in a place of honor. We want to be treated with honor and respect, each and every one of us. And the currency that we do, that we use to create that wealth in our lives is that we sow that ourselves. And lastly, be bold. Be bold. Be bold. Be willing. Be daring to step out and do what God's called us to do. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.